0: Does Charlie Kaufman suck? Uh, That is the question we ask here today on House of Decline. Uh, As always, we have Steven. Hello. And uh, we have a special guest, uh, Kramer, who is a film person, poetry person. And uh, all around good dude. And uh, he's got some thoughts on Kaufman.
1: Yeah, me me and
0: Alex go way back. Oh uh, yeah we go all the way back in the toronto poetry scene <laughs> which is a very funny thing to say can, can
1: i t- can i tell my first memory of you tell, yeah. tell, tell me your first memory so i i think so um uh, it was death cookie soup death cookie that soup. was ru- yeah death cookie soup that was run by our good friends and yeah. You showed up with a fez hat or a Marrakesh—I don't know which one, one of the two. <laughs> no, it
0: was probably a fez. I was wearing a fez around that time, not knowing how problematic it was.
1: But uh, yeah, yeah, no one clocked me on it. So yeah, you showed up in a fez hat and started re- reading your uh, magnum opus, the the USA all round poems, and oh, while yeah, you, <laughs> while you were reading Alabama, and you were just like you were just kind of keeling over with like a comical pile of unstable paper. Yeah. And I just lunged forward and grabbed the mic before it like hit the ground. And you just told me, thank you, ma'am. And that was-
0: <laughs> and I'm glad I, t- I can
1: make that sort of impression. That's good.
0: We're starting with compliments. Is that one, of your state,
2: one of your your state thing when you're doing songs for the states.
0: Yeah. Uh well yeah that was the one which which is called my meat tulip blooms for you like when uh, you're up and I'm crooning when you're gross. down uh, when you're when caught in a delirious frown it's the changing exception my meat tulip my blooms, tulip blooms, for, blooms you. for you and uh that is how I know uh Kramer and also we talk a lot uh mutual fondness for british panel shows and yeah. very obscure funds well, i like ui
2: so Yes, the weird thing is, QIs, like, even
1: though yeah. the weird thing is, even though we met then, which was like what, like three or four years ago, for mm-hmm. the first year, I think we started talking after the what I what I'm gonna call the Montreal Exodus. The Montreal but, Exodus. Yeah, when like seven of our close friends just moved to Montreal. Yeah, because it's cheap. And, yeah. you know, is frankly,
0: better than Toronto, but we don't <laughs> want to admit it.
1: Yeah, it's like after the Montreal Exodus, we just started talking for like the first year that I knew you. We basically never had like a conversation.
0: Yeah, we just uh, hanging out at poetry shows and acknowledging like each other in the distance.
2: Montreal's where all like the tabletop gamers and the Larpers go. Is it but, where they go? Yeah, that's Why did they, they all go there? Go. Um, I don't know. Is it like, because
0: yeah. being in sort of like medieval? It's sort of like medieval France if you yeah. get out into rural Quebec. Exactly. With more gravy. Uh, but, um, <laughs> Medieval France with more gravy Yeah, yeah uh, So here we got Charlie Kaufman The reason why I, I tapped Kramer specifically Is because he's a on t- uh, One of his many hats is film person uh, And so uh, We all watched this new movie That's come out on Netflix I'm thinking of ending things By Charlie Kaufman and uh, many of you know Charlie Kaufman for his work with uh, Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones, uh, Being John Malkovich, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and then his own movie, his own two movies that he's directed are Synecdoche, New York and Anomalisa. Uh, and the, he also wrote Human Nature, but, and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, but mm-hmm. those ones don't really come up that much. They're not really part of the Kaufman canon as people see it but we got this new one for netflix and it's cheap as hell and it's the same movie as all the other ones <laughs> and uh but that's my early with review more list. references
2: it's got more references
0: yes it's got a shit ton of references and so we're here to talk about it uh because we're i'm a Kaufman head from way back from when i was very young uh but being older now it's allowed me to like have some a lot of perspective on his work and stuff that i thought was brilliant now i see like somewhat of its era as well sort of the scott pilgrimification of culture for a while there was evident in uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind which involved pining for an orange-haired woman <laughs> uh but uh we're gonna let's talk about the film first of all so first impressions just you know no spoilers what what did you think
1: well, well honestly uh, the first yeah.
2: sorry no 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 please
1: honestly the first hour was the most horrifying the most scary like legitimately horror <laughs> yeah piece of cinema i have ever seen like i have never seen something that is scarier and more horrifying at that first hour and i was legitimately like in the first hour i think i tweeted like seven times in the first hour I'm like this film is brilliant Tron Kaufman is brilliant he's the master of horror and then I finished the film and then I had to do like
0: (laughs) a lot of new tweets had to do a mea culpa Mm. Kaufman is scary Kaufman is flawed yeah yeah no it it is what what did you think Steve?
2: Um, I generally find his his movies I assume they're gonna be comedies sort of or uh, in some way a black comedy and so I wasn't that scared, like, for instance, of, like, the basement or whatever. Um, I did get, like, freaked out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I actually had a different... of the, At least the first 20 minutes, I was a little bit bored, and then when it started getting scary, it kind of perked up, and I was like, ooh, I think this is going to be good. Yeah, when they be get good. to
0: the parents' house, which and,
2: is... Yeah, and then it became, you know, after... it it kind of disintegrated a little bit
0: yeah because it goes a place where the where the film the film should have zagged it should have kept its we'll we'll talk about when we get into spoilers of why this film sort of represents a problem and a dilemma in the Kaufman canon Uh, I like to think what would you Kramer what would you give it out of just straight out of 10 stars
2: how many stars out of uh, 10
1: I don't know I don't think I'll get I give it like, honestly, like, I don't know, six, maybe just just to give, just to give it, just to give it a number, I'll give it a six. But honestly, the first hour I thought it was really great. But then after, like, I, I think everything went downhill when they left the parents' house and not only did it go downhill and it became not a good film, I was like, this is kinda worse than Joker in terms of what it's telling people. <laughs> I'm like, 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 at least Joker like knew that it was about spectacular uh, murder, but this is about this is like the this is this is like slack lining on the razor blade of alienation and they're telling people like at least like at least Joker is like, oh the richer bad. But this is like, oh, you can kill this like the undertone of existentialism is always like, and solipsism is like, you know what? You're in such a hellscape that you might be able to kill every single person you meet, and that will like be okay because you're setting them free of this hellscape. And I'm like,
0: that okay, so that's <laughs> it. I did not interpret it as extreme as that, but I I think we need to get into it once we start synopsizing the plot because it's very loose. Like, obviously, you don't really know what's happening. They don't really explain. There are, like, supernatural or dreamlike elements, I think, is the best way to put it in the movie, that aren't really explained. Like, there's no... You don't find out in the end that, oh, he uses the power of magnetism in order to make these things happen. (laughs) Um, Which is... uh, a feature of the movie that actually sort of works in its favor because uh you know i think being able to have multiple interpretations is always it is always nice when you a movie like this if you had explained it i think it would have been way way worse it would have been like a three it's
2: this uh, is this is interesting because it's also based on a book and i i'm, want, really? I'm wondering what the book is like yeah
1: see you really who miss? wrote the book
2: but I would also give it a six. That's what I I yeah, always rate movies a, on IMDb, and that's what I gave it. Was a six. I
0: am going to give it a seven, exclusively because I I acknowledge everything you say, but there is one thing about the movie which I love, and it's Tony Collette yes. serving up a fantastic fucking just she's, she's every time she's on screen, it's like oh god. And you talk about the horror movie aspect of it, and old Miss Tony Collette. She's really selling it, you know. She's doing a good job. Oh, you know, thinking about, <laughs> I'm thinking about, you know, what a, a distressed woman is feeling. Um, and uh, it's very, David I, I was also yeah, David, very great.
1: E, e, yes, yes, a hundred percent. Like David Thulis is always great Thoulis, everywhere. Thulis
0: is on, yeah. But yeah, for me, it was, it was like she's just. She's just doing... She's just really acting, you know. And not in, like, an overstressed way. But she's really delivering the tension that the scene requires. She's really uh, shouldering that. Uh, Everyone's good in it. All the actors are good in it. Like, no, everyone really
1: does a great job with their performances. So I can't fault that. My Uh, mother, who is a psychiatrist, told me that... Like, we watched this film together. And my mom was... (laughs) very very like my mom has worked with like people with dementia and everything and my mom was actually quite impressed with how well david thoulis played an old man and -hmm. he's like oh like usually people with dementia is like very like it's very over the top and like he's like oh this is exactly what dementia is like they're like david thoulis is like playing a person with dementia so perfectly
0: and half lucidity uh, but also then unexpectedly saying something freaking weird and rude. Uh, Are that's,
1: you going to uh, in this, bat.
0: Yeah, exactly. And also, uh, just one other detail that I want to highlight of the movie is there's one scene where Tony Collette is in old age makeup, and it's the best old age makeup I've ever fucking seen. It's mm. crazy good. Yeah, they Which did is... good old
2: age makeup. And then, of course, at the end scene when they do the on-purpose bad.
0: Yeah. It's uh, so yeah we we're okay so we're there's a lot to talk about this a movie lot, even yeah. though it is a miss it there is a lot to talk about so let's synopsize it Steven, you took notes so you I should took some notes it. I took yeah.
2: notes of like um some some of my favorite lines um, mm-hmm. because there's some really over the top lines that. The the I guess it's the love interest. Are and, and are, are we going to get into spoilers now? If we're going to talk yeah, about yeah, we're synopsis? getting into spoilers. Okay. It's all spoilers this from here, is right from now. Spoilers, from spoilers, here on out. And
0: spoilers, they don't really matter for this movie, mm-hmm. but they kind of matter. It's it's sort of an experience. It's more of a dream like right. day to day experience. There's no like big plot point. Yeah, this that is not gonna, unique like, in you. a
2: Charlie Kaufman uh, movie to say that it's all basically taking place in someone's mind. So yeah. like every other Charlie Kaufman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, a
1: mind of a, a mind of a white guy the, <laughs> oh actually like actually actually a friend on Twitter was like, you know what this is, is, is the, I'm thinking of ending things as just a single room in Synecdoche, New York Right yeah
2: <laughs> Alex actually, said this that is not too.
1: this is not serious at, in at any point it was just a joke but like mm-hmm. but
0: um, uh, well I mean it's basically the same movie as Synecdoche, New York, but scaled down. Scaled way down, Netflix
2: budget style. There's a lot. There was some very funny lines to me that uh, were really over the top. That the mm-hmm. love interest says. Um, the ones I took note of were: mm-hmm. the sun goes up and down like a tired whore. Yeah, that one was crazy. But... That one made me cackle. I love yeah, that as, one.
0: As we later find out, and <laughs> or do we find out? My interpretation. Okay, so let's st- let's start. It starts out with a, a young woman. Uh, they're about to go on a drive to meet Jake, Jake's parents. This young woman, we don't hear her name until about a couple of, uh, like about 20 minutes in. And at first they say Lucy. Mm-hmm. But then over the course of the movie, it becomes Lucia and other such things. Louisa. She's never referred to as the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so they're on this drive. They just have this very long conversation about um she's in her head she's thinking i'm thinking of ending things i know this trip is going to end with like i don't want to continue this relationship this is uh fatal you know to me and uh then she recites this long poem upon the prompting of jake the boyfriend what's very evident about jake is he's sort of like um he's sort of a snippy dude uh, do, doesn't he like correct her on not being woke enough at one point? In uh the, yeah. That's like a detail of his character that they yeah. keep inserting.
2: He, he said that something about how she was saying that homosexuality was a pathology, and he was like,
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the that's a yeah. recurring feature of his character. He's is is a sort of a a control freak, as they later uh, expand on in the movie. So they drive I've- to this house. It's a big long conversation.
1: Also. Fun fact is that that poem is by a Toronto poet.
0: Hell yeah! What was it called? It was called Bone Dog?
1: Rotten. Actually, I don't know the name of the poem. The book is called Rotten and it's by Eva HD. It's a Mansfield Press book. Yeah, it's like a... Is it a Mansfield? I think it's a Mansfield Press book. But yeah, it's like a... It's Canadian. Actually... I'm not sure if it's a Toronto poet, it's just a Canadian poet.
0: Just a Canadian poet. Well, hell yeah, Charlie Kaufman. In the first of many, many, many references, many literary (laughs) references, uh, is this this very long poem about why returning home is horrible. And it's called Bone Dog. And apparently it's from this poem collection, Rotten by Eva HD, who is a Canadian poet. But in the film... um, what she is she is portraying it as her own poem and it's like okay so it could be her own poem not many people know this bone dog poem so people will like be like okay she made it up um so they get to the house they get to the parents house and that's when shit goes sad (laughs) it gets much sadder
2: It's just like a decrepit farm where most of the animals are either in the process of dying or fading into irrelevance. Yeah. Um, Like, I think she's like, asked the sheep, what are you even for? Or something like that.
0: Yeah. What do you even do? Yeah. Before they, (laughs) for some reason, Jake will not let her into the house right away. They, he has to stretch his long legs, takes her into the farm, and then they see some dead lambs as well. And then he tells a story about the pigs, like growing up on a farm, how pigs had... Like, they, they weren't paying attention enough, and then once they uncovered the pigs, they had maggots under their stomachs. And Even life on a happens. farm is rough. And yeah. it turns out that pig thing isn't important because it yep. comes back later in the movie. Uh, and actually, a pretty nice sequence. A pretty wacky sequence. But um, So, uh, they finally enter the house, and they're waiting in the house for an excruciatingly long time before the parents come down. It's evident that they're arguing or something is happening that's keeping them from coming down. And so, uh, the Lucy, or the love interest, the young woman, as she's credited in the titles is young woman, um, she uh, uh, she, uh, she just has this long, awkward conversation again with uh, Jesse Plemons, Jake. The parents come down, they have a, a meal where... It's just uh, the another, It's just a series of conversational set pieces a lot of the time. But then, after the initial meal, that's when time starts collapsing. Mm. And, like, you see people at different ages. The, you, David Thewlis, the father, you'll see him, like, very old. The mother, you'll see her very old. And then suddenly they're young. And uh, the, the young woman character, who is the, essentially the protagonist and has been portrayed as the protagonist throughout this movie, is experiencing sort of Jake's life, Jake's and the parent's life out of uh, Unstuck in Time.
2: We have to uh, insert that at various points we see a janitor at a high school. You're right. I
0: haven't even talked about, yes, parallel to this.
2: Parallel to this, we are occasionally seeing a janitor cleaning up at a high school who I assume to be Jake. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I
0: think the movie the movie is know. not clear on many things, but it does make it pretty clear that the janitor is Jake. Right. The opening okay. shot of the movie is Jake, the Jesse Plemons Jake, looking down at the young woman, and then in the next shot it's the old man Jake who's the janitor at the high school who's looking down at the young woman in the car. So, yeah, I think this movie is abstract. That is one thing that it decides to make clear to the audience. Um, and so um, you, wh- where you think the movie's going to go is that she's trapped in this house forever and that there's something that she needs to do in order to, like, get out of the house, which I thought that would have been a much better movie than what happened, <laughs> I think. <laughs> So eventually they do leave the house and you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that because I thought this was going to be like a horror movie where she's like trying to regain her identity or something because she's the protagonist at this point. But then it just becomes much clearer that um, Jake is actually the one who's imagining all this, specifically the old man janitor Jake. It's it doesn't become clear, but that's what it sort of leads you to think so what they do after they leave the house is they drive to jake's high school where the janitor old man jake janitor has been uh all this time and they go in there uh and there's a ballet sequence
1: <laughs> interpretive dance yeah mm-hmm. that's uh, like where, that's when the film lost me big time yeah
0: it got like, that's when it became Wankfest, as you said yeah yeah um the wank but, yeah. Festivities began. The young Jake, Jesse Plemons' Jake, who's established to be a bit of an asshole, goes into the uh goes into the high school and then disappears in order to from the because movie. they make out in the car outside of the high school and this sort makes of. Jake, young Jake <laughs> imagines old Jake peering at them which causes him to go into the high school and then a, a, in an attempt to beat up the janitor. Uh the young woman Who's still the protagonist at this point? Uh, you know, uh, eventually leaves the car and goes into the high school and meets the old janitor Jake. That's when the dance sequence happens, where in the dance sequence, young Jake symbol, old Jake symbolically murders young Jake and steals the young woman away from her, um, and then. We, after that, is there anything that I'm missing between that and when it turns into Oklahoma? <laughs> There's uh, the pig.
1: The pig. All yeah, oh, right, the, the pig. The, the pig. So, pig. yeah, the
0: old man Jake goes out to the car and attempts to start it, but then gets naked. And then sees an animated yeah. maggot pig get yeah. up and tell him that you're not so bad, yeah, buddy. It's s- okay. Snowball from Animal Farm shows up. And... You're right. You're right. <laughs> it's Snowball. <laughs> and then... Uh, Jake then Young man Jake Played by Jesse Plemons Envisions himself in Oklahoma In front of everyone in the film And they're all wearing conspicuously bad Old person makeup uh, Because it's you know theater You know and it's, it's uh, This is where it gets funny And he's being awarded and applauded by everybody And uh, then he sings uh, I'm gonna get me a bride I guess What's I don't know the specific song from Oklahoma but then the movie ends with him getting applauded. And the final shot is uh, th- uh, old man Jake's truck covered in snow. Oh, and all this time, there's a gigantic blizzard happening, which I forgot to mention before. But that's an important feature of the movie is there's always a gigantic blizzard happening.
1: So and so can- sorry, no, that's please. as best I can synopsize the movie. What were you going to say? So Great. I'm going to I'm going to tell you my thought pattern. I'm going to tell you why I think this is more, like, dangerous to me than, like, Joker, because... Okay, tell me. Like, I, like so, there is, like, well, I'm going to go back into the whole entire, like, uh, I'm going to go back into the entire career of uh, Charlie Kaufman, which is that he makes vulnerable dude movies. Yeah, sad guy uh, movies. All of yeah. his
0: characters are sad guys who, uh, like, uh,
1: need love, women in yeah, and sense. like, <clears throat> they're alienate. It's like, a, like have. Oh, actually, one film that you didn't mention was adaptation that he wrote. Like that's. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And all these films are about, like, uh, sensitive young, like basically self entitled men who are really struggling to set themselves aside from the pack, mm-hmm. and pretty much every single film ends with the profound horror like this is like from the narrative of the films view i'm not saying it's from my mm-hmm. view but all their films seem to end with the profound horror of these people actually getting assimilated into the societies that they wanted to like set themselves aside from and they're like oh look how absolutely horrible and horrendous it is to like not stand out and like mm-hmm. not be an individual and what I wanted to say was like I was like thinking about like this is something that I've been thinking about a lot in the past uh, few months, which was like I got into a lot of cosmic horror, and I I personally I personally read a lot of Charlie Kaufman as cosmic horror, which is not it, it's not specific. I'm not specifically telling other people to read it that way, but this is how I read it
0: yeah your 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 loneliness torture demons where do they come from they seem to come from nothing and they're understanding you can't understand them
1: yeah it's basically they all end with the profound horror of being uh assimilated into the consciousness of the cosmos like all that fragmentary nature but what i was gonna say was that i realized like this like uh first of all like since this is like a uh, this is uh Audio recording. I want people to know, like, I'm Middle Eastern. I'm from Iran, so i I've been reading a lot on Sufism recently, and I realized that a, like not just Sufism, but a lot of Eastern thought is specifically the antithesis to like cosmic horror, because like, <laughs> the no, because like the Lovecraftian, uh, the Lovecraftian, and like cosmic horror only works if you consider the loss of self into the cosmic consciousness a specifically and profoundly demonic and bad thing. Yeah, you're right. But, and Buddhism is the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah, like B- Buddhism, uh, uh, yeah, specifically like Mahayana Buddhism and like Hinduism, Zen. Yeah. All And Sufism, all these are uh, disciplines that spend... Like where people spend decades and decades trying to assimilate themselves into the cosmos, and that, that yeah, is seen they're as trying they all... to
0: do the human instrumentality project from yeah. Evangelion. Yeah, and like, <laughs> <laughs> I okay.
1: don't, I, I wish I had watched Evangelion,
0: but no, I, never mind. Real heads, real heads will get that ones. I'm sorry,
1: go on. I interrupt with yeah, uh, fans. No, but like, what I see is like there's something like really, really bothersome here for me because i i started to look into like existentialism in general for as well like to like sought existential like, like anyway i feel like there's this like middle class white uh like bored dude yeah bored art dude bored art dude monopoly on exist like i'm like yeah. don't you make existentialism i actually like my one of my one of my notes on this film is like, don't you fucking dare make existentialism an instrument of middle-class boredom. Because this is like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm like, uh, well, first of all, existential is a very like, uh, in general, whenever, whenever in any art form I hear the word existential, I get a little bit nervous because it's a bit of a scapegoat for, uh, you know, profoundly, uh, criticizing any art form, but mm-hmm. here like I feel like this existentialism like what bothers me is that when I said this is like about like killing everyone which is yeah. there is a very small but logical step between an alienated person who wants to kill themselves mm-hmm. and an alienated person bored with their existence and spectacular mass murder and suicide <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. the, are you talking about the Supreme Gentleman, Elliot Roger?
1: I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Good. <But like, laughs> You're safe. But, you like, for safe. example, but, like, I don't know if if any of you have read, like, if any of you know uh, Franco Bifo Berardi, but he has a book I don't called- know
0: Franco. I don't know Chef Boyardee. <laughs> who is he?
1: Oh, Franco B- <laughs> Bifo Berardi is an Italian contemporary. Uh, That's uh, not his name. That's it, the Franco Bifo work.
0: Berardi. Is he like an Italian themed 1980s wrestler?
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's
0: like Franco a Bifo
1: Barardi. I'm going to get <laughs> sauce on you. Yeah, people are like all people are like Bifo, Bifo. Yeah. But yeah, he actually like honestly listened to his lectures and he speaks ex- like he speaks in the most stereotypically Italian accent i've ever seen i'm like this cannot exist this someone's making this up this can't this accent does not exist no this guy's just too cool to live anyway but he was like an old school anarchist and like proper uh and in the last couple 10 years or so he's making a big comeback with his like uh he he's a big verso dude all his books are on verso and he has a book called heroes mass murder and suicide And he breaks down every case of mass murder and suicide in the U.S. Mm -hmm. in the past, like, 15 or 20 years. That's pretty cool.
0: I am a true crime guy, so that sounds up my alley.
1: It's probably the best book I have personally read on mass murder and spectacular suicide. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And, uh, like, anyway, spectacular murder, you know? And, like, the alienation that he describes in each and every single mass murderer is basically like it reminds me of that like Camus. Camus has this quote on the on nihilist terrorism, which he 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 says something along the lines of like there used to be this ideal which with with which you used to walk to the gallows, but, but now you have to annihilate yourself for that ideal to ever exist in the first place. Mm. And he's like basically saying like. These people have to annihilate themselves and others in order for their ideal to even exist. And uh, Bifa Berardi, basically everything that I read into the mass murder and suicide, and honestly, if you think about it, that, that's, like, that scene in front mm-hmm. of the high school, mm-hmm. honestly, honestly, honest to God, I was like, this is going to end with him killing her.
0: Yeah, there, it, it is very, and because the film is so loose and open to interpretation, I think you absolutely can conclude that this guy's a fucking creep, this guy's a murderer. Because they do yeah. portray old man Jake as, like, lusting after teens, and, you know, like, they they venerating youth, and, yep. you know, wanting stuff back, and during the dance sequence there's an implication with, that he stabs somebody he stabs like the dancer that's portraying young Jake and whether that is like a literal interpretation of his memory of like a time when like he killed someone in a high school or something like that you know there's you yeah. y- you can definitely draw that conclusion
1: but yeah there's like a very very there's a very small but very dangerously discernible difference between someone who is Between existentialism and spectacular terrorism. Hmm. Because they're like they're the same ideology like ninety percent of the way. Yeah. It's just all slacklining on the razor blade of alienation. And alienation in itself, I think, is a very strange idea. At least the alienation in this, like for example, the Charlie Kaufman alienation is that hey, why he's like I want to be the ultimate individual and what's Mm -hmm. stopping me from being a happy individual is actually other people accepting me, which is kind of strange because you're like, you're like, it's a paradox in itself because you're like, I want to be the ultimate individual and I can be the ultimate individual by assimilating into the society that does not accept (laughs) me.
0: Well, alienation is the key word because that is the arc of all Charlie Kaufman protagonists. I am alienated and I need someone. I need a human connection, and then I embrace this human connection through like weird uh, parasocial means or through meta natural means. Like so, being so we have being John Malkovich. Uh, clearly, he is not in a happy marriage with his wife Cameron Diaz, yeah. uh, who played is sort of. <far>. Um, what what did you say?
2: I forgot he, Cameron Diaz is even involved in Yeah, Cameron in
0: that Diaz movie. is,
1: she's great in that movie. Um, yeah, best Cameron Diaz, hands down.
0: And so we have, uh, we have the John Cusack character, you know, he's puppeteer, he's art boy, he's sad, he's unfulfilled, his marriage is unhappy, and so he fixates on Catherine Keener, and that's the thing that will make him happy. That is the connection that he needs in order to be whole, you know, in order to solve his alienation. And then uh, that movie further explores that because uh, he uh, gets into the mind of John Malkovich and literally becomes another person and experiences life from their standpoint. And, you know, eventually a whole group of people get into the mind of John Malkovich. And, you know, at the end of the movie, he's still fixated on Maxine, though. It's still about the woman at the end when he's invaded the mind of the little girl. (laughs) <laughs> and then adaptation, it's the same thing. It's, uh, it's himself, but he's getting obsessed with uh, the lady who wrote The Orchid Thief, uh, played by Meryl Streep. And then it sort of ends the same way where he develops this um, parasocial relationship or this mediated relationship. That's what it's like. You have a mediated relationship with women. Something happens in between. It's not real because you're either, you know, working for her or she's your own memory of her. Or something like that that's the same thing with eternal sunshine sad art guy this girl will give me benediction but maybe i'm not because i'm mostly interacting with what i think she is and that's what this movie is too eventually like i i don't think you can come to what is relatively clear in the movie i'm thinking of ending things is that the young woman is a total figment of jake's imagination maybe she existed at one point but the young woman we're seeing in the film is absolutely just a hodgepodge of Jake's idealized version
1: of a woman but in that case what bothers me is like like what actually like one of I think my number one question was because like in the first hour it's all about like I thought this movie was going to be about suicide and like suicidal ideation mm-hmm. but it's about a lot of stuff. It doesn't really it hits you
0: up with a lot of stuff. Why did you think it was going to be about cuz it's called I'm thinking of ending yeah, yeah. things, right? No,
1: yeah, well, true. well, basically in the first 20 minutes or so, basically every like couple minutes or so, the woman is saying I'm thinking about ending things. So you yeah. think like, okay, this is going to But other than that, like one thing that really bothers me is not bothers me, something that I'm baffled by and I'm not sure about is Correct, like, tell me if this is like reading too much into it, but yeah, give like, me, for example, for example, like, like I- I'm talking this specifically because they talk about Gita Born and like DFW and like David Foster Wallace and all that. Yeah. I think, so, like, so I think, well, certain parts of the film I look like, like, for example, I saw, I watched the Oklahoma and the maggot pig and like the. <laughs> interpretive dance like the first basically the last 30 minutes and i'm like i am not sure if this is sincere if this is irony or if or if they're actually imitating irony because like knowing charlie kaufman i know that like he has a very strange relationship with irony and like specifically because they like like there's like david foster wallace in the house and a lot and like they talk about a little. I forgot what part of David Foster Wallace they talk about, but I know that like uh, what they talk about has a lot to do with the irony. I mean, like mm-hmm. they don't explicitly talk about, but like that book of essay it says a lot about like death of irony and post-mo- postmodernism and everything. Mm-hmm. And that made me think that maybe they're like imitating irony. Like I don't like again. Like it's when you because well, like it. The last 30 minutes is so ridiculous to me that mm. I'm like, I can't tell if this is sincere, if this is ironic, or if this is like a depiction, like like a stage three simulacrum of fucking iron. I don't well, know yeah, what, that's, this that's
0: what it's is. Well, yeah, that's what it's about. Because like they specifically reference in the film that all you are is like a collection of little movie viruses. Like you watch movies, you read books, and they just sort of get into you. And then everything you perceive is just through the lens of those um, mediated figures. So one big sequence in the room is that when they're still in the house, the young woman goes into Jake's childhood bedroom. And then you literally see all of the books referenced in the film, especially one big book front and center is Pauline Kale, which is that's another important signifier. That's the other thing about this movie is this movie for being so dense and obtuse, it tells you what it's about constantly. Yeah. It's constantly hitting you over the head with like, oh, this is what this movie about. We're specifically announcing it. Yeah. Uh, we're saying this movie is about Gita board. This movie is about Pauline Kale. but actually that's a sequence that I like in the movie uh, where they're talking about a woman under the influence and the young woman character starts imitating yeah. Pauline Kale. because yeah. what she is, is she's just a hodgepodge of Jake's, uh, uh, experiences with literature. Cool. So I haven't
2: seen that, uh, that movie. That's a Cassavetes movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, a Cassavete. I haven't seen I looked, it either. I looked it up. So you're saying, Oh, you haven't seen it. Cause I, seen, I have
1: seen it. I have seen it. It's so, Is you what
2: Alex it. saying true that like in her criticism of the movie, she becomes the
0: character from the movie. Is that kind of what is happening? So no, like the- she becomes the critic, Pauline uh, Kale. Okay. She becomes, she, she's, it has Pauline Kale's mannerisms and, uh, views about it wait so talk about what do you know about women under the influence cream?
1: wait actually before i say that the moment they talk about gi the board i wrote down don't you fucking dare say simulacrum <laughs> I, I actually like my notes like 90 percent of them start with don't you fucking dare <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: like i'm like don't you fucking dare say simulacrum and I say, <laughs> Yeah, they
0: mentioned I, quantum physics once, and then they don't really bring it up again. Yeah, that confused and they, me. Why were they? Yeah, physicists? they led off with that in the trailer too. I, I Man, thought that like,
2: maybe uh, she was going to be like an AI that he programmed or something, but there's no actual science aspect. Just science is like a little bit of seasoning they sprinkle on to. Yeah. that I didn't understand. Actually,
1: what what was your question about woman under the, the
0: influence? no just like what do you think Because so what they're doing in the movie is they're talking about the criticism of yeah, yeah. woman under um, the influence which is in itself you know a, another stage of simulacrum separated from what yeah. this person actually
1: thinks so, um, so, and uh, what's its significance sorry. to this plot Uh, honestly like, like I don't remember much from woman under the influence but Woman Under the Influence is, like, a very seminal acting role for both Peter Falk and specifically Gina Rollins who, like, Mm -hmm. plays that woman. But there is a lot of, like, problematic... Like, anyone who... Like, it's... I don't know. Like, it's very, like... It's Cassavetes. It's a lot of improv and it's a lot of, like... uh, It's a lot of problematic uh, exploration of mental illness yeah it's absolutely
0: well Rollins was through the male gaze you know it's a very male gaze depiction of women right which is what the the Pauline Kale interpretation is getting at and then Jake refutes her saying,s like I think you know Peter Falk character I think what he does for her is nice he's trying to do something in that movie which I thought was interesting because I thought that was like Kaufman actually commenting on how he treats women in his movies like as sort of ciphers for the male character to get their uh depression rocks off on
3: yeah
0: Yeah.
2: with enough he just puts enough self-criticism in there to try to squeak it by in my opinion (laughs)
3: Um,
2: like the line that is the the secret line for me in the movie that um i you know think really explains the whole movie is that she realized that a hamburger is just a ground-up cow and that is kind of what the movie is to me. Um, kind of just, it's just like, that's what I've realized about the movie. It's just kind of like a ground-up
0: cow. That is that is the best sequence in the movie, actually, where um, the janitor, old man Jake, in like one of the parallel shots before uh, the stories converge, is watching a very cheesy film. Um, and the Zemeckis uh, was supposed. Yeah, to be, yeah, do you yeah. Think it was then, at the end of the film, him? just in. Yeah, in huge font. It just says, directed by Robert Zemeckis, which is a great joke. There's another great joke in the film that I love, where um, as soon as they enter the house, uh, Jesse Plemons, young Jake, puts his thermos in the bottom drawer where there's, there's this gigantic drawer of thermoses, yeah. which I like because that's a very nice specific detail about, like, you know, how just families just have weird places and weird rituals where they put, the, oh, yeah, a drawer of thermoses and that's also something that he does that he really that i really like it when he does when even amongst the dreamlike logic there are these moments of like very realistic attention i think that's when this movie shines like especially during the dinner scene the dinner scene is really really good actually with tony collette and david thewlis and jesse plemons and and jesse buckley i think is uh, who plays the young woman i think that's her name
1: the dentist the uh Uh, Sorry, the dinner scene is very Texas Chainsaw. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, very tense. Yeah, which is why I thought it was going to go into... That's what I was really disappointed by because Jesse Buckley's doing a really good job as the young woman. I wanted her to, you know, I wanted the movie to be about her. I didn't want the movie to just be about Jake. Um, And all of the promotional material is, it's about her. This is, you know, Charlie Kaufman's first female protagonist movie so maybe he will do something marginally different than just every than the, no. the last five movies he's done Yeah, but uh, no we did not get a horror movie about a woman trying to escape her toxic boyfriend see that would have been good self-criticism like a woman trying to escape Charlie Kaufman
2: yeah the first thing I did after I finished this movie was look up if he is married
0: is he married? And I, yeah Oh, my <laughs> God! Can you imagine being Charlie Kaufman's wife? I'm having my fifth panic attack of the day. Yeah, he's married all right, constantly correcting her.
2: Um yeah, he seems a little insufferable, but maybe maybe he gets everything out. Maybe he gets all the bad stuff out and just puts it into movies.
0: i yeah, I've seen him in an interview. He seems like a normal dude. He just seems like your average very neurotic Jewish guy that's very able to channel his neuroses into art actually Uh, that i yeah i mean it's very personal because like clearly all of the movies are about his own fucking neuroses
1: actually can i i i actually my main uh my the main thing i wanted to say coming into this was i wanted to tell you guys that charlie kaufman has pulled uh kojima Okay, how is he called Kojima? Yeah. Yeah, he's he like, yeah, he's pulled a full Kojima because like he's become like he's been praised way too much, and like, and then now he was like, and he's been praised so much that he's been allowed to like make exactly what he makes without like any any filters, and then he's pulled like he's pulled a what's that. He's pulled a Death Stranding. This right. is the Death this Stranding. Is his death strand. <laughs> yeah, this is his Death Stranding. Yeah,
0: I, except for the fact that Death Stranding costs so much money, and this looks like it was shot for, like, six bucks, That's which is another. I, I actually I disagree with that premise, Kramer. I think uh, Kaufman has lost the ability to uh, garner amount of money because Synecdoche, New York, was shot for, like, what, 15 mil?
1: You think? No, no, it's not about the money. It's about creative control. (laughs) I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah, Go nuts, Kaufman. Yeah, it's about how much executives will allow you to make exactly what you want to make as opposed to, like, how much money you get to make what you want to make.
0: Wouldn't it be funny if Kaufman started out with, and so, yeah, the movie's about the young woman, um And the Netflix executives, Charlie, your movies are usually about a sad guy. Just make it about the sad guy, you know? That's what people want. Uh, That being, yeah, I, I think that's what it seemed. It seems like a lot of, more of the same, but scaled down from his other stuff, which is, um, you know, if you're going to do like a small intimate movie, just don't do... The same message you had with Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa, but way less visually impressive than either of those movies.
1: Ah, oh, I don't remember Synecdoche. I don't remember Anomalisa. I just remembered Do- the. Wait, was that also David Thewlis? That I was also
0: David Thewlis. Yes, he was. He was the main guy in Anomalisa, and was it Jennifer Jason lee and Tom Noonan was everybody else? But, yeah, another movie where a sad. The difference with. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, the difference with anomaly is the alienated man in that one is not an art guy. Uh, <clears throat> he's a motivational speaker.
1: Oh, that's shit. That's the other.
0: Yeah. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I guess that's what really differentiates. So, um. <laughs> oh, my God, how the hell am I going to start to stop this? That's it. Punch yourself in the fucking face. 80 <laughs> times. 80 pop. times. You're ruining the podcast. That's my catchphrase now. Pop you're pop. ruining the podcast.
2: <laughs> the podcast. <pass. laughs> I want to watch now. Synecdoche in New York again.
0: It's um, an intense movie. I remember really liking it when I saw no, it. I, it is great. I think it is a genuinely great movie. and It's sort of like I the think apotheosis. I saw I think I went and saw her. <laughs> Whoa!
2: But 2008 was when I was, like, as Kramer was talking about, like, the mediocre white man angst. That was peak time for me. Yes. For that. Oh yes. man, what a great time! I mean, it is a great time in one's life mm. when, when, you, when you realize when you're just sort of struggling to, struggling to figure out your way, and. Mm-hmm. Refusing to realize that you should try to assimilate. Um, <laughs> one of our listeners, one of our very friendly friends of the pod, Dorian, put it to me um, best when he said, "He he's just now figuring out how to live in this country after after 22 or so years, or however yeah. however old he was." <laughs>
0: it's it's hard it's hard to assimilate because a lot a lot is expected and i guess yeah that's what you were talking about earlier kramer is that not only is this about uh a person th- this is about your desire to be inward versus your desire to look outward your desire to be solipsistic versus your desire to actually make connections and relationships with other people
1: yeah this, I, yeah, yeah i think like all charlie kaufman films are are the ultimate plight for individualism right yeah <clears throat> also whenever I hear apotheosis mm-hmm. I remember Herman Melville <laughs> it's <laughs> like I, there's this like quote from Moby Dick which I have strangely memorized but it Indeed. ends with like you know like that quote from Moby Dick that goes know ye now Balkington anyway so, I don't know that quote Balkington yeah, it's uh, like, tell me no, that it's like, it's like no I'm glad now, you would Ball assume Kington. that of
0: me. Know me now, Bulkington.
1: <laughs> like, do the whole no, quote. Do the whole quote. <laughs> there's a Twitter
2: okay. account you can follow if you want Moby Dick quotes. So.
1: Oh, I love Moby Dick. <laughs> I Moby Dick is my favorite classic. As strange because it's so strange, it's a third, it's a third Shakespearean soliloquies at the ocean. It's a third, like just like people doing things on the boat. And it's a third proper Cetology It's just like a whale is this long it produces this much sperm and it's like you mm-hmm. read like five pages and you're like no this is like straight up about whales this is yeah. this is not about any plot or narrative this is about a whale
0: yeah i'm gonna do like i'm gonna do a musical like cats but it's gonna be about moby dick and it's gonna be called whales
2: <laughs> oh i thought you were gonna redo cats the musical yeah with just uh, all of it being scientific facts about cats,
0: <laughs> that would be pretty good. i <laughs> like to do Charlie Kaufman's Cats, where like the depressed male cat, you know, meets a fancy, uh, <laughs> meets a fancy lady cat with different colored hair, and then he just, you know, is in a corner taking a lot of nip. Well, the, and, this uh, this
2: movie is it's the worst possible way of dealing with your situation in life is to do what this guy did, which is to go insane and have (laughs) a horrible inner life where your memories are having nightmares of spending time with you.
1: Yeah. Um, Your memories. Oh, that's a, I'm going to write that down. Your memories are having nightmares. Specifically of
2: being around you.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Even the people
0: that you create, it's like, uh, have you ever been rejected in a dream? that shit is hilarious yeah um, yeah, i think so yeah that is amazing being romantically rejected in a dream
1: actually can i let me tell you something about my queerness which is i should have known this about my queerness but like when i was in high school all my friends were talking about girls and going out with girls and they're like hey do you have any wet dreams i'm like never whenever i have a dream about a girl she grows a dick and then it 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 took me like five more years to realize oh like there's there's a logic behind that like yes I w- I w- i've been queer all
0: along yes that it's super hot hey you're with jim norton jim that's norton jokes about that no yeah that's jim norton's that's his he has got many jokes his preferred uh uh his preferred uh, partner sexually is a woman with a penis which is, uh, you know, I'm, I've never had the opportunity, but I'm just putting it out there. I'd be down. I'd be totally well, let's down. Well,
2: find, let's find you the, let's turn this podcast into finding you the ideal partner.
0: There you go. I, I don't, I'm not saying a woman with my penis is my ideal partner. Oh, I'm with, with your anybody, penis. But I'm just saying, you know, a woman with my penis, yeah. that would be weird.
2: Yeah. Uh, she has That's, your penis. <laughs> ugh.
0: I couldn't, nah, that's the old Chappelle line, you know, I couldn't pick my own dick out of a lineup, because all dicks, <laughs> um, like, unless it's, like, different races, like, uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think I could pick my dick out if of a lineup. If you could pick it
1: by color, you mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, if I could pick it by color, like, it, I mean, it's obvious, if, like, there's, like, a black dick, I don't even know if I, but, I. Uh, yeah, I don't know.
2: There's that great scene in the what is the, the show by Phoebe Wallerbridge Fleabag? It, Fleabag there's that great scene in Fleabag where her her mother in law has made a wall a wall of dick sculptures. <laughs> and she goes up to one and she points she taps on it and she's like, And this is your father right here. She just is <laughs> <just> tapped.
1: <laughs> and That's then I think shot. she's I like, Oh wait, Fleabag. no, it's this one. <laughs> Me and uh me and my i remember i used to live uh i used to live with this friend and we would go sometimes she would come home with a picture of a wall of dildos and she would make me guess which one is uh the closest to her boyfriend's dick that and I is would al- and i would <laughs> what? always yes i would always i i, I always guessed it right
0: <laughs> what fucking game is this? What is the? I guess this is just art, you know. Yeah. See, this should see if the Charlie Kaufman movie had about a bunch of ladies growing dicks, that would have been a better movie. I mean, <laughs> see, frankly, this is the what dream. I, this what is I wrote the dream is, I would of much, Kaufman.
2: I would much rather watch Alien if I'm gonna watch a movie about isolation, alienation. It's just <laughs> the about movie Alien. Alienation, yeah. I would rather watch that than 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 this one. Wait, did 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 any of you watch Tenet yet? Not I, yet. No, no. I refused to I watch I thought it Tenet. was going to be about CIA director George Tenet and be a sure. historical <laughs> biography, and I was sorely disappointed.
1: <sighs> Actually, Tenet is like, I, I, I for one, as like an art house, like big art house guy, I love to hate on Christopher Nolan, but his films are great in the cinema. Like, mm. it's like pretty much like, the best bang for your buck you can get for going to the cinema and watching a movie what i think about him is that christopher nolan is a huge and amazing scene director but he just sucks at directing like full-on films like he has some of the best like oh actually wait i'm gonna make it i'm gonna say he's the best like one of the best action directors i know but he just sucks at directing drama
3: Mm -hmm. Mm.
2: yeah his narratives are weird like did you see dunkirk
3: yeah 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 i I,
2: there were i loved individual scenes in dunkirk and i really liked most of the movie but as a whole it doesn't work yeah
1: but yeah but like like even if you so well in in parts yeah Yeah. even if you hate like for example even if you hate the total premise of inception you have to admit it has some of like the best like for example that like swirling uh, uh that swirling corridor scene or like all like he's a great scene director some of his yeah, scenes are yeah. just absolutely immaculate no and one can on, do a set piece for sure uh and, and no one's yeah and honestly honestly tenet for me like like i said I, i'm like again i'm like prefacing this by saying like i'm a i'm a piece of shit snob that hates on like all like big films but Tenet had like three or four of the best action scenes I have ever seen in my entire life.
0: Well, that's, see, that's the Nolan strategy is he comes yep. up with the set pieces before he comes up with the film. Mm. And then the narrative is just linked to like the three or four big moments. Like no. you can see it uh, like Dark Knight Rises is like that. It's going to be a football stadium. We're going to blow up a football stadium. It's going to be great. And then uh, we'll just build the action around it. It takes over the city, you know. Did you guys see that piece of
2: news coming? I think it was out of Czechoslovakia that there's a town in Czechoslovakia and Tom Cruise wants to blow up their bridge for Mission Impossible 7. Like they have a historic bridge from the 14th century and Tom Cruise wants to blow it up for his movie. And there's an outcry in the town. But the town leadership is like, but then
0: he's going to pay for a new bridge and we need a new bridge. They do need a new bridge. <laughs> I, you know, I'm coming down on with Tom on this one. Fuck history, you know, embrace progress. Yeah, uh, I guess so. we gotta blow up old Czech bridges.
1: There's um. a there's a town in Malaysia called uh, cyberge. was it Cyberjaya or Put, Putrajaya? Okay, Putrajaya. Putrajaya built historical sites from like I don't know, like it has like thirty or forty historical sites from around the world rebuilt into this one city.
3: Mm-hmm. So there's this,
1: like, <laughs> and, like, like they have, like, a mini Taj Mahal, and it's a really good Taj Mahal. <laughs> and they have, they have this pink mosque from, like, Iraq, and it's a really great pink mosque. And they have, like, one, uh, they have one uh, uh, bridge from Iran. It's called Polkhaju, And they have, like, they just have it. They just built, like, 30, like, 40 ancient like, uh, Famous uh, historical sites just in this one city. That's very funny.
0: I mean, if you would like to simulate the lair of a supervillain where they have stolen all the world's monuments, <laughs> yeah. I think that is the closest that you're going to get.
1: They Man. have a really good Taj Mahal. Like, I, I, I...
0: <laughs> have you been to? The, can you compare? Have you been to the original no, no, versus no. the future? No, Butcher I've not Jaya? been to India. J-
1: You've just seen. Uh,
0: yeah. Have you been? Because you used to live in Malaysia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I,
1: I lived in Malaysia. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you went to so you've been to Putrajaya. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Okay. Good Taj yeah. Mahal. I'm told there's a good Taj Mahal there. In Malaysia, yeah. <laughs> 10 out of 10, <laughs> Putrajaya.
1: Actually, you know what? Like Malaysia's all like in like Malaysia has one of the bi- actually why are we Are we getting into this now? <laughs> <laughs> Never. mind. Yeah, we're the good. Malaysian Fuck film it. scene? we talking about We've talked are about gonna the cough. We're going to talk about Malaysian film or what are we going to talk about? Oh, actually Malaysian film is really dope. Yeah yeah it is like one of my like so when i was in malaysia i actually got to work with my absolute favorite malaysian director like he was an indie director and i like i went up to him i'm like hey i will like work for you whatever unpaid and he's like what like don't like you you can just help me out i'll teach you things you don't have to work for me unpaid. and like it was like he took me for as like his like main assistant on one of his documentary shoots and like i helped him make it but apparently anyway, what is this filmmaker's name azhar rudin but like one of none of his films like i don't think any of his films are available online or like that's my problem like my favorite film from him i ordered it from singapore and it should be on the way I I had to order it order it from Singapore Film Archives, but like when like the th- the great thing was that when I was in Malaysia, it was like in the middle of a film uh, movement in there. So mm. they're like they like new wave film was like three four years long, three four yeah their new wave of like film had started like three four years before I got to Malaysia. So in the two three years that I was there, I got to work on some of like the new wave of uh, of uh, indie Malaysian films.
0: What are uh, what are some titles that you could point
1: us to? Well, I have to look it up. Like, uh, I didn't work on like I worked mostly on short films, and I can like, okay. uh, but uh, I only worked on one a full-length film but it never like it never released because ah, there you go. it was supposed it was supposed to be like a docudrama like and like a sort of like documentary about like a certain city and like it weaves a narrative into it and it never got released and i think the, it, it's by that director that i told you about but i think he's still working on it you are like shot- the big names in malaysian cinema Ah, there I think the first two that's like the one of the main ones. that I don't I remember is called Amir Muhammad, mm. And oh my god, I'm blank. It's been a while it's, I'm blanking on the names, but like if you've ever watched like like for example, there's this like very signature slowness and this like overtaking of nature and like landscape to like for example if you've ever watched I don't know if any of you know Apichat Pong Birasatako.
0: Yeah, I know, I know, that's Uncle Boon Me who can suck past dick.
1: Yeah, so like, (laughs) so like, that is like, if you've watched that, his films are very similar to like the new wave of uh, Malaysian film.
2: It's Uncle Boon Me who can recall his past lives.
0: I know, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uncle Boon Me who can eat past chodes. (laughs) You should... (laughs) If you That's have a happened, good. You that sp- is a great movie, Uncle Bumi. You can recall Pass. That's the only Indonesian <laughs> film that I've ever it's, it's, seen. It's,
1: it's Thai.
0: It's Thai. Oh yeah. shit! I'm fucked up. You fucked Kansas, up, man.
1: Yeah. It, uh, actually, wait. Indonesia, like I know t- like, two of my f- like, favorite action films were made in Indonesia, but are not by an Indonesian person. But it's like the two uh, raid films. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah,
0: they were made by Ja, but he's a Thai. But he's a Thai boy, isn't he? by who the director tony of ja? the raid
1: films no 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 to- they're not the raid films are by uh the raid films are not
0: who he's tony like a ja. south african or something to- isn't who he? am i no tony jaw is from thailand isn't the, isn't the guy that made the raid, the raid movies south tony african ja-
1: Tony Jaa made that, like, Muay Thai film that I forgot about. Ugh. Yeah, is okay, the one where me... he's getting back his elephant
0: kickboxer? I have no idea. But he was... Ong Bak. Ong Bak. Ong mm. Bak. That's
1: a good... That's a good Yeah, movie. yeah. Tony Jaa Tony ja basically brought, like, Muay Thai uh, to, like... Yeah, he... Ong Bak was... Actually, Ong Bak is a fantastic movie. Fantastic. Mm. But let me see, who did the raid? The raid was by, like, I think an Australian or English person. It's
2: Gareth mm. Evans. I, let me Gareth see
1: Evans, yeah, yeah, Gareth Evans. Gareth Evans. He's Welsh. Welsh? Oh. Yeah. The, Span-
2: the Spaniards of the UK.
1: Is <laughs> <laughs> Gareth Evans from Khwanwajrpokwanga go go go?
0: Oh, you memorized the whole fucking Welsh town name, you fuck! I don't
1: know. You yeah. fuck!
0: You just whip that out anytime. Yeah. You memorized yeah. the long Welsh town name. Do it again.
1: Oh, what? Uh, you mean "khlanwaer uh,
0: you fucking you bastard! You bastard! Nah, <laughs> <laughs> nah. No, no. That's why we get. That's why we have you on grammar for for stuff yeah. like that. No, that shit's great. Um. For anyone not in the know, there's an exceedingly long Welsh town name that um, is very difficult. On top of the syllables are very difficult to pronounce, but Kramer, you know, you know, like how many
1: languages you got under your belt? You got three, four? I know two perfectly, but I know bits and pieces of a lot. Like I'm a big like linguistics person. So, I know mm-hmm. bits and pieces of like I don't know like ten or eleven languages, but I only but you speak got Farsi like, and English, yeah, Farsi and English are the only ones I speak fluently, mm-hmm. French I can read a lot, German I can read a lot, I know bits of Swedish. I studied Swedish for a few months, and I don't know why it. I can I can understand bits and pieces of, like, the uh, Nordic languages, like Norwegian I can,
0: and can I Swedish. can speak Swedish. Yeah. <laughs> the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, for sure. That's what all the yeah, Swedes sure. sound like, yeah. <laughs> Ingmar Bergman. So, um, here's the thing. Has this movie, I'm thinking of ending things, caused you to reevaluate Kaufman?
1: Yes, and, definitely, hmm. definitely. I'm like I'm done with this guy. Oh.
0: <laughs> so we can we answer the question we posed at the top of this episode. Does Charlie Kaufman suck? Uh no. He's just like I don't think he should direct movies. He should just Yeah, write I think them. that is the yes. I think that is the correct conclusion. He should write movies he and He should be oppressed
1: give... a bit more. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. He has Canceled too much Charlie.
1: creative
3: freedom. Mm-hmm.
0: Too much creative freedom, man. He needs to be reined in. He needs to he needs to do like a Softy Brothers and do an Adam Sandler movie. Oh wait. <laughs> uh Oh, I'm a shared art guy, but this in fact fe- when you think about it, a lot of Adam <laughs> Sandler movies follow the same tack as Charlie Kaufman <laughs> movies. Yeah. Where it's just like an alienated uh, man child who, like, in order to get better, he meets a woman, and you know.
1: Oh, you know what I watched, and I realized, like, so after um, after watching, I'm thinking of ending things. I watched a Humphrey Bogart movie, and I'm like, mm. this is also the same. It's just like sad <laughs> art. I'm like, it, this is like, I'm like, I'm th- I'm like overthinking how specifically. Uh, novel this is like all of like classic Hollywood has been this exact same thing it's just like
0: yeah sad guy meets yeah that's the weird thing about the invention of a manic pixie dream girl like Marilyn Monroe is a manic pixie dream girl by that it's a very well worn trope is lady comes in and becomes the light of my life and gets me out of my depressive hole that's also like 500 days of summer or that's basically some like it hot too you know yeah, my In
1: depressive Ooh, my depressive hole makes a good band name.
0: My depressive hole. We're 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 like the Courtney Love band but on uh, Xanax. My depressive hole. I, I
1: like <laughs> I actually... <laughs> Sorry, I can't have
0: sex. My hole is
1: depressed. Wait, actually wait a minute. I were you I I listen to your podcast a lot where you like, I'm talking to you, Steven. Were you <laughs> Swedish?
2: I mean, not by any way of measuring it, unless you get into weird race science.
0: What's your blood quantum? You know, my speed? blood
2: quantities. Are, yeah. <laughs> I would say, I don't know. I have a one grandparent who's fully Swedish. The rest Quarter is all. Sweet. I'm a mix. I'm a mix of the whites.
0: Mix yeah. of the whites. Yeah. All the whites together. We got eggshell. We got.
2: Yeah, I'm got a mix are, of
0: them all. We got pale horse. That I mean, would be the.
2: If I have to, like, if I'm forced by the the new administration to list my ethnicities, I would be majority Scandinavian. No, plurality Scandinavian. Plurality
0: Scandinavian. Like, three eighths. <laughs> Scandinavian. <laughs> I I like the idea of there are, there are eight guys in your mind and three of them are Scandinavians yeah, exactly. and they're like. They're, that's they're how I think of it. block on issues. Because uh, I'm
2: one eighth Jewish, so one out of every eight jokes can be a Jewish joke. There,
0: there you go. That's how it works. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. So every, so every one thousand and twenty eight jokes, Elizabeth Warren gets to make an indigenous person joke. Yes, that's true. I heard a great tweet about that. The other, day. I heard a great tweet. I saw a great tweet where frickin' it's like, um, you know, if you are one one thousand native americans that means something bad happened Mm
3: -hmm.
0: yeah (laughs) don't you shouldn't you don't want to claim that (laughs) in your ancestry um yeah so does charlie kaufman suck maybe maybe he sucked this whole time and we just needed we just needed uh the trump presidency to bring it into stark relief
2: I, the one right. thing I did like about the movie was thinking about how many dads, like 50-year-old dads, are watching it with their Zoomer college-age daughters and just <laughs> getting into a big fight about it.
1: She's <laughs> <Just, laughs> like, well, I want her to watch Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> See, oh, wait. I thought it was going to be the opposite. That, like, the, the I thought you were going to say, like, the girl is going to say, like, no, I bet that <laughs> she's
0: going to get offended. I could see women getting offended
1: the, by this the
2: women movie. will get offended by it. But then because their dads hate it so much that it's not a, just a plot driven blow stuff up movie that they are forced into defending it and then just feeling sort of debased again through the whole thing. It's terrible. It is terrible because it's going to alienate the women viewers of it as well, who yes. in, uh, in in will uh, probably have to defend it without wanting to because it
3: sucks
0: (laughs) just like the lady in the film is defending uh is defending non-representational art or whatever (laughs) i don't remember i i um that was uh something funny you bring up that now my train of thought has escaped me misogyny in the film is it misogynistic is charlie kaufman misogynistic Does he Mm -hmm. just only view women as a means to an end of psychic uh, benediction?
1: Um, Redemption. Do the women
0: in his movies have characters? Like, does uh, Aubergine... No, Clementine. That's what she's (laughs) called in Eternal Sunshine. Aubergine
1: would have been so
0: much better. But can you... I guess you can... (laughs) My girlfriend, Aubergine, broke up with me. I'm so sad, and I'm Jim Carrey. And then that girl OD'd at my house, and now I paint because I'm existentially tripped out. Maybe it's a curse to appear in a Charlie Kaufman movie. I see... No, I'm not willing... I can't say Charlie Kaufman sucks because I do think um, being John Malkovich in Adaptation probably... For the uh, the strength of Spike Jones as a director, you know, are, are still really good films that still hold up. I think also because they don't, um, they're not as sympathetic to their pathetic male characters as this movie is. Uh, and other Charlie Kaufman directed movies are. Um, whereas, yeah, the John Cusack character basically ends with him being a creep. And adaptation, you know, sort of just flies off the rails to the point where it's not even, you know, in the realm of realism anymore. It becomes the schlocky movie that it made fun of, which is the point of it. And why is it so fun? That's what I like about ad- adaptation, because it, it's descent into schlock, into self-conscious schlock actually makes it fun.
2: I, I, I just put... watched
0: a movie much
1: like that, um, Wild at Heart by David Lynch. Wild
0: at Heart. I haven't seen <laughs> that, actually. Well, the...
1: Wild at Heart. I, I watched it for the 30th anniversary I went to Royal. <laughs> I went to the Royal to watch the 30th anniversary screening of that, and I actually, I actually wrote a whole ass uh, list on Taste of Cinema. <laughs> Taste <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how why is Dave, like, Why is Dave? Why is *Wild at Heart* the most subversive David Lynch film <laughs> of all time? Which I had is, to rent
2: it from the library. It's not available anywhere. I had to go to the library.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. I, it, it is not a. It is only available in like France in a VOD, and I ha- I literally got a VPN <laughs> to like to like buy it from France, and they're like, you're not from this country. No, uh, well, they understand it there. Ah yes, Wild well, it the, the greatest David Lynch movie. Also, Dune. Dune is the greatest David Lynch. Honestly, Dune is the. Like, I- I'm good. gonna stand by Dune. Dune is good. Yeah. Like people no, Dune are is hated- good. I don't know why it's people hate weird.
0: it. It's weird. I mean, it's just because it's not like... It's not a pure Lynch film. Like, it's very clear where producers meddled. Mm. But I think the movie is actually better for it because it is an anomaly in yeah. the David Lynch filmography as a result. And that makes it also fun to watch on a meta level. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the other movie news that happened is the Dune trailer. Dune. Yeah. The Dune trailer with Timothy Chalamet. It's like... What is in this box yeah take it or um, leave it <laughs> what is in this box your pussy oh <laughs> uh,
2: take this i, uh, I, I have take your low hopes for that
0: wait wait, you were uh, you
1: were going to say something about White right.
2: well in terms of the, the schlockiness descending descent into schlockiness um i watched while what was i what what was the movie, Alex, you were saying was oh was adaptation, adaptation has a
0: self conscious descent into schlockiness.
2: <coughs> yeah, David L- that movie is very schlocky. Um at one point I think Willem Defoe's head is blown off. Yes. It's amazing.
0: That's pretty good. But
2: it's a schlocky movie that I was extremely entertained by. Whereas so, I'm not uh, entertained
1: by Charlie Kaufman movies. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of big takes on, like, like I actually spent a lot of time, like, dissecting Wild at Heart. And, like, I think, like, I think Wild at Heart had a huge, uh, huge, uh, role in the new Nicolas, Nicolas Cage, uh, like, the Nicolas Cage that people like right now, they're like, the vampires kiss Nicolas Cage, the, like, the over-the-top yeah, the, Nicolas Cage. Yeah,
0: basically, I believe he
1: calls his acting style neo-shamanic uh, ba- acting. Basically, I think, uh, I think *While at Heart was the first big one to come out of that. I mean, like, before that, *Moon uh, Moonstruck was a little bit, like, getting there, but it was still pretty much, like, 90% straight. Yeah. But... Wild at Heart was like the first big film that he just. I I don't know. Maybe it was like the creative freedom or whatever it was, mm. but it's the first real Nicolas Cage moment. Like, yeah, the first it's
0: the, unhinged
1: Cage moment. Actually, can I, actually let me tell you something really like funny about the the uh, <clears throat> the thirtieth anniversary. Uh, uh, uh the thirtieth anniversary showing of wall at Heart, which was before the film started, someone came and said, we know that half of you are here for David Lynch and half of you are just here to laugh at Nicolas Cage. We just know that both of you like really clash and we've had a lot of trouble showing <laughs> wall at Heart in the past. <laughs> but some people take David Lynch very seriously and then some people just laugh at everything that Uh, Nicolas Cage will say in this movie so we just we just please ask you to get along for this one night (laughs) and it was really true Like there, I mean like to be honest it's like the absolute most like laughable like dialogue for Nicolas Cage and then you cannot stop not laughing but also like some people are like this is a David Lynch movie and then we're here to like absorb this like absolute but another thing that I really like about *Wild at Heart* and like I think it's the best subtext is how it, I mean, like in general, David Lynch is really good at using music and like what it represents in the film.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, what I really love about *Wild at Heart* is how it pits countercultures of different generations against each other. So, like, basically in the entire film, like uh, Nick Cage, like kind of represents like a Elvis character. And he's, like, really into rock and roll and, like, serenading uh, his woman and, like, he he literally, like, he's like, oh, if we ever, like, become man and wife, I will, like, uh, I will sing Love Me Tender to You. And then the film goes, like, the film has very interesting parallels between jazz, rock and roll and metal. Yeah, because like the basically the 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 theme of the film is a new metal song. I forgot who it was by, and there's all these like metal mosh pits, and then there's all this like serenading like lounge, like rock and roll, and it's like all these like like how this like past uh, countercultures have assimilated into the culture and have become the norm and are actually something that people aspire to. They're like. In the whole film, like the Elvis character, is something very like, like kind of like pious that people like aspire to. But like in the fifties, he was like seen as the biggest like threat to American like piety, basically. And Kramer, you it... just
0: said the secret concept: the commoditization of dissent. That's the secret concept for every episode of House of Decline. Every time yeah. we come up to commoditization <laughs> of dissent, we gotta ring the commoditization of dissent bell. Ding, 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 we can, ding also, yeah. we can also
2: ring the the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction bell. Ding.
0: Yeah, ding, 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 the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction bell. Ding. Yeah, ding, 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 ding. Oh, <mumbles> uh, Di- Diego just perked up. <laughs> yeah, Di- well, we were making bell noises. <laughs> yeah. Diego is visible on the Zoom call. He's cute and distracting. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh Wild at Heart, uh, can we relate... Well, okay, so why is Wild at Heart a good movie? It and, is not a so I'm thinking of <laughs> well, ending yeah. things as a bad it's movie. Stiff, well, the, I mean,
2: in, not good in terms of, like, if we're not talking about the technical aspects of filmmaking, but the character, Nicolas Cage's character, makes better decisions and has made better decisions in his life and is on a different plane of existence than the main character of um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. The main character of I'm Thinking of Ending Things could never get with a woman of that caliber, and if he did, would not make the correct decision to go back to her at the end. Instead, he would have to go off and continue being an individual instead of assimilating into family life, which is why I like Wild at Heart, because that's what
0: he does at the end. You know why I'm Thinking of Ending Things is so bad? It descends into sympathy for the incel. Yeah, kind of. Wait, actually, please allow me to introduce myself. Actually, I'm a man of like, <laughs> wealth. I'm the supreme
1: gentleman, uh, So, like, actually, like, what I think is, like, uh, Wild at Heart has a lot of discourse about American cinema because I think, like, Wild at Heart talks, of, I mean, like, even though I actually read like 40% of the no- novel that it's based on just to like write the criticism on Taste of Cinema, but. Uh, what David, I think one of the interesting things that like, probably the most interesting thing that David Lynch adds to wild at heart is the entire wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. uh, storyline that in the entire film, there's so much like parallels to wizard of Oz that like the mother is looked at as the wicked witch of the West. And like the, and like. I think the, like, the going back, like, again, like, I know I'm so over irony, but I think it's ironic the way that Nicolas Cage goes back to Lula, like, Sailor goes back to Lula in the end, because basically Sailor, like, in the end of the movie, I know you haven't seen it, Alex, but, like, I'm just going to tell you. So, basically, like, he goes to jail, whatever, he comes out Mm -hmm. and meets back with uh, Lula, which is uh, his woman who has waited for him like for like six or seven years when he was in jail and he has a child and he's like we're not good for each other i'm gonna go and then he goes to a back alley and a gang of comically interracial people like it's like i'm not joking it's like one black guy one asian one like uh Middle East. It was a, the 90s. Everyone had, it was, it was the style at the time. And these five people come and beat, like, they literally beat sense in him. They beat him and he falls on the ground. And the, the good witch appears, which is actually Laura Palmer, I forgot the actor's name. The good witch appears, and Is like, don't give up on love, sailor. And then he gets up and he's like, I apologize for calling you gentlemen faggots and then because like when the when the when the <laughs> when the gang shows up he's like what you faggots want and they, they beat him and he's like i i apologize for calling you gentlemen's faggots and then he goes back to lula and like like he sings uh, love me tender on the top of like it's like in the whole film like aside from like the music uh uh, parallels. There's also this parallels between like there's there's a lot of discourse about the American Road movie, the American Western, and like specifically specifically the Wizard of Oz because the Wizard of Oz is the only thing from the film that is entirely new. There's a lot of small things from the book that has been changed, but it's like so small that it doesn't make sense. But the Wizard of Oz like a polarity of like that and the binary of the good bad and like a lot Mm. how a lot of things are basically the it's like the wizard of oz is taken as the ultimate moral compass for this movie and therefore like for like the american like cinema and Mm. it's used as like a ruler to like basically uh guide all these characters through this like uh Okay, so you say moral compass,
0: and I think that's an important thing as to why sort of the films of David Lynch are very, even though they're hard to watch, they're easy to watch compared to a Charlie Kaufman film, because... Yes. Um, uh, they're, one, they're more visually arresting, uh, two, the characters, David Lynch, there's a sweetness and a warmth to David Lynch that you don't find with Charlie Kaufman, who pretty much hates all of his characters. All of his characters are him, and he hates himself, so... Um, well, he doesn't really root for them or want them to succeed, and he sort of injects that into his own movies as well. I actually
1: have a theory for that because I think what I, one thing that I really like about David Lynch is that he intentionally does away with subtext. Whatever is <laughs> yeah. whatever is subtextual, he makes it very explicit to a point where, like. You don't have to think about what it's about. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think it's about so you can just watch the movie. And there's yeah. a, there's a there's a profound sincerity in doing away with subtext. And I think yeah. actually that that works very well with Nicolas Cage and where he goes from this yes. onward, because Nicolas Cage is the exact same. Nicolas Cage like goes does this uh does this uh incredibly su- like intentionally superficial uh, performance and over the top performance. And in his artificial performance, he becomes somehow the ultimate sincere. Like it becomes 10 times more sincere yeah. as if he was genuine, uh, as opposed to if he was going to try to be like a lot more, uh, oh, yeah. Calculated. The same thing
0: happens in Twin Peaks where you have these over the top characters, but if you like infuse them these over-the-top characters with real lo- See, that's the difference is like, David Lynch believes his imaginary characters are real. And so he treats them with gentleness and this sort of hopefulness for their future and outcome. Whereas Charlie Kaufman, the figments of his imagination because they're transitory and because they're existentially meaningless are sort of treated with derision and they're left to sort of rot because at the end it is a solipsistic tale. He is yeah. the only person. I mean, uh, the movie ends, I'm thinking of ending things. It ends with the Oklahoma, where he's like, the song is about, I need to get out of this room, which is my head, and find myself a bride. You know, it ends with the guy sort of determining that you need human connection in order to live. You know, it's an anti-Solipsism message, but because you just inhabit the mind of this guy who is so wrapped up in his own shit to the point where the moral direction or the goodness of anything doesn't even come into question. You know, it sort of, it sort of leaves you empty. A little lacking. Yeah. Uh, but Synecdoche... That's what it's weird, because is like that, but because it's just so much more, and because it just piles on everything, including, like, references and illusions and especially images that's the other thing that david lynch does is that you say his stuff is surface level but he communicates that through images charlie kaufman is dialogue he communicates everything through fucking dialogue which is why the movie is not as visually arresting as it could be Mm
1: -hmm. yeah uh my first my first note in the watching the film was quote unquote quote ill met by moonlight my ass (laughs) <laughs> an homage, an homage to text. Well, it shows. Like that's the first. <laughs> that's shady. He's like, I don't know if you remember the first ten minutes. It's like, oh, my face ill met by moonlight. I'm like, I fucking hate you.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like, there's was...
2: something... She knows too many words. As I have a note here. <laughs> Just <laughs> nope. there's too many. You know, you learned too many words, and yeah. you have an overabundance of a, of expressive ability, which. Is a it's it's a terrible handicap to have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Gotta be deadpan. Uh, So uh, we're coming up around the hour and a half mark, which is where we usually end things. So let's just final review. Are we thinking Uh, about
1: ending things?
0: Not anymore. This movie, I wouldn't say don't watch it, because I think it's worth watching. It produces a fruitful... There's enough in it that it's interesting. It's not an abject film whatsoever, hence the 6.5s and 7s. There's Mm -hmm. a lot to criticize in it, because it is disappointing. It does feel like it could have gone somewhere better, especially with the fact that the protagonist turns out to just be another sad man, as opposed to, like, a trapped lady. I wanted a trapped lady protagonist, <laughs> not a sad man protagonist. Trapped lady. That's what the trailer gave me was trapped lady protagonist. What are your What are your guys's final thoughts on it?
2: Um. Yeah. Definitely watch it if you have time. Um, I would say there are better things you could do, though. Uh, you could watch Alien for the fourth or fifth time. You could watch Predator <laughs> for the sixteenth or seventeenth time. All you could watch, you Alien
0: would, you could watch Alien versus the Predator. for Alien versus Predator.
2: Um. It is not a standout performance by Jesse Plemons, which is what I was hoping for, because he... He's good. I like him. Like, in yeah, the... Break, you know the Breaking Bad
0: sequel? Yeah, he's great in that. Oh, no, pre- that. the break... Is it the... The... The, the, movie, the movie sequel to Breaking Bad? Yeah, the Jesse... He's the best part of that Jesse Pinkman movie. He's, yeah. He sings
2: a Dr. Hook song while driving. Whoa. Whoa. Like, yeah. That's perfect. And he does some singing in this movie that... Meh. The, um, I mean, there's that
0: one great scene in the Jesse Pinkman movie where he, like, uh, takes the belt he used to strangle a guy and then just puts it back on casually, which I think is extremely yeah. funny. But, you know,
1: it's um... what what hey. I what I think Jesse Plemons does, does for this movie is that he just acts like a David. Not David. What's that? What that what's that guy's name? What? David what? Mamet? No, no. What? What Hoffman? Charlie? He's just Philip like a, Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour. He's, he's just, just a, a big fi- doughy Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, he's just a Philip Seymour Hoffman uh,
0: stand-in in this mm. film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are your uh, final thoughts on? I'm
1: thinking of ending things. I'm there. saying young ch- young people should not watch this lest they go and shoot up schools. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that like okay. We you laughed at it, but I genuinely I think it's problematic. But I also think it's like something that people should watch. Mm -hmm. like I think it's like one of those things where you should like it's you should watch to know like it's a cultural product it's a kind of like a Tarantino movie I like it's a cultural product that is big enough and important enough to watch just to be able to talk about the ramifications of its popularity because that's fair because like I have watched it like I hate Tarantino but I watch every film that he puts out because you're like this film's being the most popular, like him being the most popular auteur in the world right now, what does that mean? And what yeah. does his films being the most important release mean to like the world of cinema and the film of cinema, world of cinema? Yeah, films, in know? the same way that I would encourage
0: people to say, watch a Michael Bay movie, but not yeah. watch,
1: like, whereas Brent Ratner movies
0: are totally discardable. Michael <laughs> Bay uh, inhabits a very important part of the film canon, which yeah. is, you know.
1: Honestly Michael Bay's like Rock and Armageddon are just like apps like they're we can both all agree amazing. everyone yeah. agrees the Rock is an amazing movie. No actually, one. you
0: know what? It's a ba- string of pearls formation. <laughs>
1: Bad Boys 2 is like is like if I had to call a single film a guilty pleasure movie, which I don't have, I like a lot of films. But yeah. if by other people's standards a guilty pleasure movie for me is Bad Boys 2 because I think it's just such an awesome movie. But I'm not well, saying it that- just got real. Nice. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all right. Well it's time to end the episode. But I'm thinking of any ending plugs Do Kramer, do you want to plug your, your Twitter or to all of our eight listeners or anything?
1: Well uh, Well find me at the Orchestral nice. anywhere. All right, we'll put it on our show notes. Yeah.
0: Thank you for coming on, Kramer. Thank we thank love you, so you. No as guests. uh. Thank- we're yeah charlie kaufman he sucks we we figured it out okay (laughs) yeah that's fun